0: We've been working our our way through uh, the book of Revelation. I've entitled it Alpha and Omega because that's what it says at the beginning of Revelation and that's what it says at the end of Revelation. Alpha and Omega describes Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. The book of Revelation is all about him. Just in studying it uh, just recently, the last few weeks, it's been impressed upon me how Christ-centered the whole book of Revelation is. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and Omega. Today we're going to talk about his letters to the churches. And the first one is to Ephesus. And I've entitled it, Leaving Your First Love, because that's what he says about the church. He says the church has left their first love. And this is all about Jesus speaking to his church. That Jesus spoke to his church back at the time of John John wrote about it. John wrote down the book of Revelation, Jesus' message to the church. And Jesus also speaks to the church today. Jesus is still speaking to the church. He's speaking to you, and he's speaking to me. And he needs to be heard. We need to listen to our risen Savior and as he speaks to the church. We're going to start by focusing on the message, Jesus' message. And I'm going to use this as just kind of the general introduction to the next two chapters, chapters two and chapter three, they contain the seven letters to the seven churches that John wrote because Jesus told him to write to the seven churches. And uh, there, there's a, a pattern here. and there, There's something to be said about these two chapters. There's something to be said about these seven letters that are here. It starts with uh, verse one of chapter two. It says, "The aim to the angel of the Church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So he's writing a letter to the angel of the Church of Ephesus. and uh, we, we talked about that last time that I think the the um, the seven stars in Jesus' hand, we know they're the seven angels. Jesus said they're the seven angels. Well, who are the seven angels? And uh, my opinion on that, I shared with you last time, is I think he's he's writing to the, the leader of the church. He's writing to the pastor of each church and the, with the intention that the pastor write that down and uh, read it, uh, that the pastor read it to the congregation, that they uh, publicly study that letter together. They they publicly read and hear the word together. Uh, that's, that's my view. It could be a an, uh, heavenly angel, an angelic messenger that he is writing to here, but it just makes more sense to me that he's writing to the pastor so the pastor could preach to the church based on this letter. he read the letter to the congregation. And there's um, in these seven letters, there's this this outline, there's this pattern. And it always starts from Jesus, although Jesus is described in different ways. It doesn't describe Jesus in the same way, but it always starts from Jesus. And here it says, from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. That's how it describes Jesus. He's there standing among his church. He's in the center of his churches, and he's holding the pastors of the church in his hand. Christ is the head of the church, and he's actively leading his church. He's the one who is writing. He's the one who is speaking to us. He's the one that we need to listen to. Now, it's always from Jesus, but he's described in different ways in the seven letters. Uh, Then he always has a uh, a word of commendation or a word of encouragement. He says, I'm I'm thankful for you, the church, because you, the church, are doing these things well. You're doing these things right. And he says a few things that the church is doing right. He gives him a pat on the back. He says, good job. Good job, church. You're you're doing these things well. That's part of the the letter in in just about every letter. It's not 100%, but this is the standard uh, outline that he goes by. And then he gives some strong words of correction. He says, you're doing these things well, but you really need to work on these things. There's a few things that you're not doing well, and you need to work on that. That's part of the letter. That's part of the outline. And then it always ends with a very similar ending. It always ends with um, something like, he who has ears, let him hear. So listen, listen to what Jesus says. And uh, then to him who overcomes. So he talks about overcoming. So it always ends on a positive note. If you listen to Jesus, you will overcome. So it always ends on that positive note. So each letter is like that. And the church of Ephesus is the first letter and it's uh, the same outline. So these seven letters to the same church to the seven churches follow that same uh pattern, that same outline. So what are these uh, seven letters to the seven churches? We we looked last time at the seven churches. They are the seven churches in Asia. And they, they don't really form a, a perfect circle, but they're kind of, you know, you can kind of picture Jesus in the middle there, can't you? You can picture Jesus standing there in the middle and then surrounded by his churches. And uh, there is Jesus guiding and leading his churches. And uh, the, the Isle of Patmos is a little speck off the coast, and that's where John is. John is writing; He sees this vision and he's writing these words on the Isle of Patmos, but he's writing to the seven churches. So these uh, seven letters are written to seven literal churches who have these literal uh, situations going on. So when he gives them a word of commendation, he says, you are doing this right. That's what that church is doing well. When he gives them a word of warning and says, you're not doing this right, that's the problem that that church has. That it's a very literal church with a very literal problem. So he's writing to a specific church, a specific literal church with a specific literal problem. I think it's also true that these letters are representative of the church. That if that literal church in Ephesus had that literal problem, well, guess what? There's churches today that are going to have a very similar problem. And we're going to to need to hear the same word from Jesus because our churches today aren't that much different from their churches. And so uh, there's churches that need to hear the same thing today. So we need to hear this message to these churches Uh, even though it was written specifically directly to them, that that literal historical church at that historical time, it was written to them and applies to them, Uh, yet it also needs to be written to us. It applies to us also, because uh, their churches represent our churches today too. There's also a third way we can look at this, and and this way I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure, but I think there's enough to it to, to make it intriguing and to involve more study, that perhaps this is true some people have speculated that perhaps the seven churches represent the historical church that the first church is the early church the apostolic church the second church is the later uh, persecuted church the third church is the organized church after Constantine Uh, And then the the fourth church is the medieval church. And the fifth church is the church of the Reformation. And the sixth church is the missionary church of the 1700s and 1800s. And the seventh church is what we're in today. So it represents this historical um, progression of church history from the beginning of the church till now, to the end of the church, till Christ returned. I can't say with 100% certainty that that's true that these seven letters represent a historical progression of the history of the church. But there is enough there that makes it interesting. It may be. There might be something to it. And and so I I will share those as we go through each letter. And uh, I think you'll be intrigued and and interested, as I am intrigued by that theory. And and perhaps that theory is true. So I won't preach it as an absolute certainty, but I will uh, give it to you as a possibility. It's possibly a historical progression of the church also. I know for sure that they were historical churches and that Jesus was writing them a literal letter for that literal church. I also know for certain that our churches today are not that much different, and so we need to hear the same message, the same letter, because we have the same problems that they had back then. I'm not sure if it's a historical progression, but it might be uh, that, that third element to it also. So that is a, a summary of the, of the seven letters of Jesus' message to the seven churches. They were real churches, and they needed to hear a word from God. We are a real church today, and we need to hear the same word. We need to hear the same message because it applies to us, just like it applied uh, to them in their historical setting. So that's Jesus' message. Jesus is speaking it to his church. Now let's go with the, the encouragement, the, the, the word of commendation that Jesus gives, the encouraging word that Jesus gives. Uh, we find this in verse 2 and 3. This is what Jesus says. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have who say that they are apostles and they are not. You have found them liars. You have persevered. You have patience. You have labored for my name's sake. You have not become weary. All those are wonderful qualities. And he praises them. Now, now we're supposed to praise God. We give praise to Jesus. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus praises his people, that that Jesus gives thanks for his people when they're doing something well, that Jesus will eternally reward his church. Jesus will eternally reward his people. And so he 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 speaks of those things that the church is doing well. Now, there's something interesting about Ephesus that is different from the other six churches from our perspective. From our perspective, we know a lot more about the church at Ephesus than we know about any of the other six churches. We don't know much about the other six churches. We know that they were there. We know that they were real, but we don't know much about them, how they started, who started them, uh, we don't know much about their history, but we know a lot about Ephesus. The Apostle Paul was the first one to go to Ephesus and to start the church there on a second missionary journey. He didn't spend very much time there because he was in a hurry. He was on his way back. He was on his way back to Jerusalem on the first time he was at Ephesus. Uh, he didn't spend much time there. He was on his way back to Jerusalem, and so he left. There was opposition and uh, he was kind of forced to leave, but he said, that's all right, I'm leaving anyway because I need to get back to Jerusalem. So he was there a short time, and then he left, and he left uh, Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus. And then Apollos showed up, and Aquila and Priscilla had to kind of teach Apollos and get him up to speed because he didn't have the whole message. He didn't have the whole gospel. He was teaching repentance, and he was teaching the baptism of John the Baptist, but he wasn't preaching Jesus yet. And so they had to get him up to speed. Hey, Paul was just here, and he was preaching the gospel. He was preaching Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he's the Savior, that he's the Messiah. And uh, when Apollos heard that, then he started preaching that. And so Aquila and Priscilla were there. Apollos was there. And then Paul went back on his next missionary journey, on his third missionary journey. He went back to Ephesus again. And this time he stayed two years, which in Paul's ministry is an eternity. He never stayed that long. Uh, usually because he got kicked out of town before then. But it's a very long time for the Apostle Paul. He spent two years in Ephesus the second time he was there on his third missionary journey. And it describes a a, a wonderful revival that took place. It it, it describes wonderful miracles that Paul was doing. Paul was doing miracles in the city of Ephesus. It says that his his miracle working was so amazing that people wanted just to touch the, the handkerchief that he used to wipe the sweat from his face as he was working on tents, being a tent maker. Uh, Which sounds kind of nasty. You you definitely wouldn't want to do that nowadays with the virus going around. You don't want to touch anybody's used handkerchief, all right? But, but, But Paul's miracles were so amazing and so wonderful that people would just touch his used handkerchief and they would be healed. The power of God would flow through them because it was flowing through Paul in such a miraculous way. There was a revival going on. In fact, the revival was so much that it affected the silversmiths. It affected the ones who made idols. You remember, we know about Ephesus. Ephesus was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The temple of Diana was there, the temple of Artemis. And it was a center of false religion that was right there in Ephesus. And they sold a lot of idols about Diana or Artemis. And uh, so many people were getting saved. So many people were turning to God. So many people were were accepting Jesus as their Savior and turning away from the false gods, turning away from Diana, the the false goddess, that uh, the idol-making industry was collapsing. And so they had to get together and run run them out of town. But there was this great revival going on. People were bringing in their, their books, their uh, they're false books about false magical incantations and so forth and we're burning them They had a, a book burning of all the wrong books They would uh, gather them together and burn them because they wanted to, to study about Jesus and not any false religion There was a revival going on in Ephesus and they started out with a bang. They started out growing uh, They started out with a revival. They started out with all these things that uh, John mentions here. you I know your works. I know your patience. I know your labor I know that you, you can't stand those who are evil, those who are worshiping the false doctrine. You got rid of the false doctrine. You got rid of those idols. You got rid of those that worship Diana. And um, you you discern between the true teachers and the false teachers, those who claimed they were apostles, but they really were not. You had the spiritual discernment to discern them. So, so John is writing about this. Later on, after Paul left, after his third missionary journey, we know who was pastor after him for a while. After him, he left Timothy there. Timothy was a young preacher who went to Ephesus and ministered there. And Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and encouraged Timothy, you know, hang in there, be strong, be courageous, be tough. Uh, you still got a, a lot of work to do there in Ephesus. So Timothy was there in Ephesus. In fact, we probably know who came after Timothy, after Timothy was gone from Ephesus. It's not in the Bible, so we can't be 100% sure, if it's in the Bible, we are 100% sure. But it's not in the Bible, but, but early Christian history, the early fathers taught that after Timothy, the apostle John was the pastor at Ephesus. So John himself was there. And, and now he's on the Isle of Patmos, and now he's writing to his old church. He knows those people. He was there. Paul was there at the beginning. Aquila and Priscilla were there. Apollos was there. Timothy was there. And probably the apostle John himself. Was there? It, interesting that, that John would have been an older man by that time. Timothy was the younger man by that time, and Paul, the older man, uh, came after Timothy, the, the younger man. But now John is a very old man on the Isle of Patmos, and he's writing, and he's writing to his beloved church, the people that he knows well, and he's uh, writing these words of encouragement. You guys were faithful. You worked hard. You labored. You were patient. It wasn't always easy. It was hard. Sometimes you were persecuted. Remember the silversmiths, they didn't like you guys. And there was some persecution going on there. But you guys were patient in persecution. You were hardworking in your labor. You had spiritual discernment to know the truth. And you rejected the false teachers, those who claimed to be apostles but were not. Uh, You were wise to reject the, the false teaching and to have the spiritual discernment to know what is truth. You have worked hard, you have persevered, and you have not grown weary so so john writes these comforting words from jesus but he's writing them to his old church family whom he knows very well and so that's how the letter starts it starts out on that encouraging comforting note that jesus is patting them on the back jesus is saying well done good and faithful servants keep up the good work keep doing what you're doing you knew what was coming, though, didn't you? There, there's a however, there's a nonetheless that's coming. And that's Jesus' warning. It can't all be good. It can't all be roses. There has to be a thorn in there somewhere. And that's what we get in verse 4. Here it is, nevertheless. So far it's been good. So far it's been rosy. But here's the nevertheless. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first Love. There it is in a nutshell. You have left your first love. Isn't that human nature? And isn't that the way we all are? I mean, I, I won't ask you to give a testimony, but but if you are married, that's probably you know the, the story of of your marriage. That there was a time when you first met and you were first planning your engagement and your wedding and all that. That uh, there was a lot of uh, emotional passion and and love and excitement in your relationship and then after the first you know five or six kids and after the first uh, mortgage and as life progresses I mean you 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 love each other just as much as you did on the first day but you know it's not quite the same it's not quite the same energy it's not quite the same passion of course you don't have the same energy anymore either but that's just the way that it goes. It's human nature. That's the way things go. You can't stay on that high level of passion all the time. Uh, you can't do that 24-7. There has to be some, you know, come and go to that. And that's what he says to the church. So you know what he's talking about. You know that it's a, it's a common thing. It happens to relationships, and it happens in our relationship to Jesus. That Maybe you look back and remember remember when you first got saved, How Exciting it was do you remember what your life was like before you came to know Christ as your Savior and uh, And then you you hear the good news And and maybe you're not sure about it for a while. There's this spiritual struggle going on But eventually you accept it you believe it you receive it you receive Christ as your Savior You, you pray a prayer of repentance You ask him to save you from your sin and you have this assurance of forgiveness of eternal life in heaven you you have the, the strength of Jesus to go with you now, wherever you go, the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. And and it's just like a whole new life, just just like our, our baptism this morning, that there's this, this newness of life that, that we celebrate in Christ. And then time passes. And now you've been going to, to church for a long time now. It was really exciting at first and different at first. Well, you know, now you're a Sunday school teacher and you have to prepare a lesson. You know, now... Now you're uh, a trustee and you have to go outside and trim the bushes or something like that. You know, Uh, Now it's it's not as fun as it was at the beginning at first. Maybe some of the excitement has gone. I mean, you still love the Lord. You're still uh, saved. You still want to follow after him in obedience. But maybe there's not as much excitement and passion as there was at the beginning. Well, what do you do? How do you fix that? Well, fortunately, we have the blueprint right here in our text. He says, first of all, remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Think back. Remember what it was like. Remember when you first came to know Christ and the excitement, the passion that you had for him then. Remember that. Spend some time reflecting on that. Remember that. So that's the first step. Remember from where you have fallen. And then repent. Repent simply means to change your mind. Now, when you were saved, you already repented, right? When you were saved... That's That's how you're saved. You're saved by faith. And faith is both positive and negative. It's positive in the sense that you're putting your faith in Jesus. And it's negative in the sense that you're turning away from other things. You're you're turning to Jesus, but you're letting go, repenting of other things. Uh, They're both uh, the opposite sides of the same coin. It's the same coin, the same action. Faith and repentance. Faith is the positive, reaching out to Jesus. Repentance is the negative, letting go of everything else. As you reach out to Jesus. When you came to know Christ, you repented. But here it says, you know, there's a a time where you need to renew that. You need to renew that. You need to change your mind again. Your your mind is getting bogged down in the more mundane things and the more negative things. And when you think of church, now you're thinking of responsibilities and duties and all those things. That's what you're thinking about. Instead of thinking, I get to go meet Jesus. I get to worship my Savior who saved me. It's a. I mean, you still believe the same thing, but it's a different mindset. you got to change your mindset, change your attitude. That's what repent means. It means change your mindset. So remember the, the passion that you had at the beginning. Change your mind now. Get your attitude adjusted. Get your thought process going in the positive direction. So, those are the ways that we return to Jesus. To remember, to repent, and and keep on doing the first works. Remember those things that we did at the beginning and do those. Do those things that we did at the beginning. Do it in the same way, with the same attitude, with the same passion that we had from the beginning. Remember, repent, and then do those things that we did at the beginning. If you have lost your first love, you're not alone. The church at Ephesus did the same thing, and they had the Apostle Paul there. They had Timothy there. They had the Apostle John there. But still, when all that was said and done, uh, some of the glory was beginning to fade. Some of the excitement was going away, and the people were drifting, just like common to human nature. It happens to all of us. Remember and repent and keep on doing those things that we did at the beginning. So that is the warning that we have. He starts off with the encouraging words. Then he has the the warning, be careful not to lose your first love, not to leave your first love. But it ends on a positive note. It ends with this precious promise, and this is similar to how all of the letters, all seven of the letters have some variation of this at the end of their letter. This is in verse 7. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's kind of a strange way to say it because we're not used to that uh, that particular phrase. We're not used to that uh, particular way of putting words together. Uh, but it just uh, simply means we need to listen. That's just a, a fancy way of saying, uh, listen, open your ears. Or uh, since it's Mother's Day, maybe maybe your mother said something to you like that before, you know, Uh, unplug your ears, get the wax out of your ears. That's what my mom would say to me. Listen, you know, I'm talking to you. You need to listen to me. That's basically what he's saying here. He's just saying, you need to hear this. You need to listen to this. Not just listen, but you need to act on it too. You need to to live in light of what you are hearing. So it's just a a, a kind of a uh, idiosyncratic way of saying, Listen. Hear what I'm saying, what the Spirit is saying to the churches, and then he gives this uh, statement to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. Now just about every letter has that same some variation of that same theme. It talks about overcoming and th- and this is so important, and this is so encouraging, and this is such a wonderful promise that yeah, things are hard now, yeah, there's some persecution going on out there. There's a lot of people that don't like you right now. There's a lot of people that are opposing you and your church right now. Uh, there are uh, some, not, not only some, some persecution from without, but there's some drift from within. You are losing your first love. You're leaving your first love. It's not like it was at the beginning. You don't have the same passion and excitement that you had at the beginning. So you have persecution without. You have leaving the first love from within. It's tough. It says if you would just listen. He who has an ear, hear. If you would listen to what Jesus is saying, if you would listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches, you will overcome. You will overcome. Jesus is there with you. The Spirit is there inside of you. Nothing is going to overcome you. You can overcome it. You can overcome anything. With, with Jesus as the head of His church and with the Spirit indwelling His people, you will overcome. We need that message today, don't we? That yeah, church has been really you know, tough the last seven weeks that we've been able to uh, have church online, but we haven't had church together. We're going through a difficult time in our nation. We're going through a difficult time in our city. We're going through a difficult time in our family. You know, listen to the, what the Spirit says to the churches, and we can overcome we have Jesus leading us, in God. He's standing right in the midst of the seven candlesticks, the seven churches. He's holding the seven stars in his hand, the seven angels of the seven pastors of the churches. He's holding them in his hand. He's speaking to the church today. If we would just listen, we can overcome. And to those who overcome, you have the pro- promise of heaven. I think that's what he means when he says, "I will give you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." It's just a fancy way of saying. You're going to be in heaven for all eternity. That's what he's saying. You will be in heaven. And in fact, the tree of life shows up at the end of the book of Revelation in the New Jerusalem. Now, when we are with God for all eternity, it shows up there. And so I think that's what he's talking about. He's just saying, you have eternal life in heaven. You who are saved and know Christ is your Savior. You will dwell with him in paradise and heaven forever. You will take of the tree of life for uh, alongside of him and... Uh, The things of this life will just fade. All the the bad things, the suffering, the pain, the loss of this life will just fade and be non-existent for all eternity as we overcome together. That's what the Spirit says to his churches. And that's what Jesus is still saying. He's still speaking to us. He has a message for us. He has a word of encouragement for us. There are things that we are doing well, that you are doing well, and you should be uh, congratulated. You should be patted on the back and encourage in what you are doing well. There's also a warning. There's things that we're not doing well, things that we need to do better, things that we need to work on, maybe leaving our first love, and we need to work on getting back that first love. And, but we always conclude with that special promise. If you would just listen, you will be overcomers. Let's close with a word of prayer.